man, is he English. He has to bring up the Hugh Grant, not Leo. <laughs> we got two Leo Walkers in there. It's your backyard. We talked about you need to specialize. You certainly understand Notting Hill. So I perfect. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy and Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcox, CSRO here at Revenue.io, joined by my co-host, Howard Brown, successful entrepreneur, founder, and guru in all things artificial intelligence and revenue science. Howard, how are you doing today? I'm fabulous. It's good to see you. Welcome, Charlie. It's great to be with you again. Thank you. Charlie, we are thrilled to have you back. It was Charlie Cowan, the RevOps Charlie, RevOpsCharlie.com. You've been a thought leader in the space of RevOps for well many years now, and also pioneered some of the books, uh, one of which I love, How to Sell Tech. Brilliant insights inside there. Charlie, it's just wonderful to have you back here today. Thanks very much. Great to chat with you both and uh, talk about my favorite subject. Yes, RevOps. Now, we had a really lively conversation last time about you know, the automation, the data, and, and the raw impact that generative AI and AI is having itself. Today, I want to shift to like more of the practical application of some of the changes we need to make. And I want to start with a, a newswire that came out about 30 days ago, roughly. And it was McKinsey and Company. And McKinsey and Company cited that amongst Fortune 100 companies, those that have a CRO, which is a more progressive role in the world of RevOps now, so chief revenue officer instead of just a chief sales officer, they grow 1.8 times faster and higher revenue than their peers. So we are seeing the impact now, Charlie, of RevOps in the Fortune 100. We're seeing the linkage between sales, customer success, marketing, and, and all of the tooling and data come together. I guess showing up, McKinsey is espousing it in the biggest companies in the world. And, and look, every startup these days should be embracing that approach as well. But you have a really interesting way of articulating how to pull this together in a flywheel in terms of the, the continuous nature of all of this. So let's dive into the RevOps Shirley flywheel, if we can, and just talk a little bit about how you help companies conceptualize and get these kind of gains that McKinsey's talking about. Yeah. Just to encapsulate what revenue operations is as a, as a topic, it's about aligning marketing, sales, and customer success into one uh, unified process. And the reason why we do that, uh, from my perspective, is that over the last five, six years, especially going through COVID, the way that customers, that buyers want to buy has completely changed. Uh, they've got no interest being on the receiving end of 80 SDR emails that all look exactly the same every day. Uh, they've got no interest at being spammed. And so they're taking control of how they want to buy. And uh, a lot of that is involving them uh, connecting with their peers in private Slack communities. It is going to G2 uh, and looking at some of their grids. It is private WhatsApps. Uh, it's the dark funnel as it's referred to. And at the point when they pretty much know what they want to do, that's when they put their hand up and they start speaking to, to vendors. Uh, I think Ghana has a stat that customers go 87% of the way through their entire buying cycle before they uh, put their hand up and speak to a vendor. And so when we think about revenue operations, instead of it being us looking out to the market and going, right, how do we do a better job? 
I truly believe that we need to look inwards at our business from the external perspective of our prospects, of our customers, and importantly now, our partners, whether that's consulting or reseller partners. And so the the flywheel that you talk about, which I describe with uh, all of my clients, if you imagine, close your eyes and visualize a, a circle, a, a flywheel going clockwise, and it's split into two halves. The top half is very much the external aspects of the revenue uh, acceleration flywheel. And so in the top half, uh, we're talking about things like that dark funnel that I mentioned. We're talking about things like the content that you're creating on your website and your social feeds. We're talking about the buying experience that your buyer goes through as they move from your marketing teams to your SDRs, to your AEs and on to onboarding. Uh, we're talking about the contracting process, what it's like to negotiate with you, the onboarding and adoption, and then on into your CSMs and uh, any upsell and uh, hopefully renewal and, and not churn. So that whole experience is an external one. What's it like to be a buyer of your services? And that is very, very strategic. It's not a tactical exercise at all. So to continue thinking about the flywheel, we now go down to the bottom half and we continue around. And these are very much the internal aspects of revenue operations. So here we're thinking about the things that are most commonly thought of as, as RevOps. So it's about our systems. It's about our org structure. It's about uh, the data that we're using. It's about maybe some of our processes or how we forecast and how we compensate people. And you obviously need all of this. This is the core of, of RevOps, but it's only there in support of the capabilities that are in the top half, which is how our buyers uh, perceive us. One of the things that I've really experienced uh, in the RevOps community is that a lot of my RevOps professional colleagues have come from a marketing ops or a sales ops background, which was quite internally focused and quite tactical and data driven. And one of the most common questions that I see in the communities is, how do I become more strategic? How do I get a seat at the executive leadership table? How do I show and demonstrate that revenue operations is critical to the future of the business? And for me, it's about that top half of the flywheel. You've got to get out of the office. You've got to go and speak to customers. You've got to go and speak to uh, prospects and partners and really understand their view of the world and how are they trying to solve their problems and how does your buying experience support them in that? You know, as we think about that, Howard, the linkage to the customer. The linkage to engagement. That is when we talk to heads of rev ops, we talk to ops people, we talk to executives, like that's where these things often break down. I think to Charlie's point is the top half of the flywheel, it isn't being dressed enough. Your rev ops is not sales ops 2.0. No. Right? It, 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 if you aren't thinking through engagement, you're, you're going to miss the mark. Uh, you know, Howard, mm. See, I, th I think, you know, well, I know you're going to agree with Charlie in terms of the engagement in the top half of the flywheel, but how are you advising people on that, addressing that issue? Like, how do you move from being sales ops 2.0 to actually being genuine rev ops? Like, what, how, do, how do we synthesize and really be buyer centric focused or customer centric? Well, I, and I love Charlie's example of using a flywheel with a, a top half and a bottom half. And I think what sits squarely in the middle is the customer. Like this whole exercise is to deliver a better 
customer or buying experience. And if you are not focused on doing that, you will miss the boat. So the entirety of this exercise for every business today around go-to-market and customer retention and customer service and support has to be put the customer in the middle and everything we do, everything we create is how to help them buy, how to help them have a better experience with your brand, with your people. And so if that is at the center point, all of the data exercise, all of the training, all of the enablement should be how to provide that better experience because companies that don't think about their customer in the center and are architecting systems to provide a unique, a special, a great experience for their buyers and customers are going to be left behind. So for me, when we think about these exercises, it's also critical to think, how do I provide a great experience for my buyer or customer? Well, it definitely involves creating a great worker experience. And Charlie, I know back from your days at Aperio, that's something we talked about was how do we create a great worker experience? Because if you create a great experience for your reps, they're far better suited to provide a great experience for their buyers or customers. But if you leave out their experience and what they need to provide that experience, guess what? They're going to be miserable. They're not going to be equipped with the information, the insights to provide that great experience. And those customers and buyers will suffer. So you can't just think about your customers. Yes, they're at the center, but every engagement is with a human being, is with a piece of content, is with your brand. And so focus on the customer, think about all of their touch points and work towards building a great experience for that customer. Yeah. Absolutely. I was I, I think a bit of the film Notting Hill and uh, there's this scene where Julia Roberts is standing in front of Hugh Grant. You know, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And it's stripping away all of the celebrity and all of that. And I think a lot of that with, with this sales uh, person and the buyer interaction, we built so much stuff around them, different systems and recording and this and that. And at the end of the day, it just needs to be a salesperson standing in front of a buyer trying to help their business. And if you can allow them to have that, and then all of this other stuff should just disappear into the background. Man, is he English. He has to bring up the Hugh Grant, not Leo. <laughs> we got Julia Walker in there. It's your backyard. We talked about you need to specialize. You certainly understand Notting Hill. So at perfect. <laughs> What's really interesting to me, I want to draw the analogy back to the flywheel. Because all of what we're talking in terms of making this happen, remember there it's two halves. And I don't think anybody's actually really going to debate us on that. But I will say that I th think people don't actually treat it as a, as a flywheel. They, they have a big wheel, and then you got a little tiny wheel on customer engagement. Well, what happens when I'm turning that? It's always going to swing back to the bottom half of ops. If you aren't equally approaching both the engagement, the customer side, in equal vigor in RevOps as you are the internal ops, you're never going to actually get a RevOps model. You're going to have veneer metrics. You're going to have things that sit there, but but it is the two halves being equally balanced that actually make the flywheel move correctly. And I think for a lot of ops professionals, 
they they're not comfortable with that you know and and charlie have you seen that is that is that like is that a truism like it the flywheel needs to be equal to work yeah exactly and you know one one question that comes up is like is is this just for you know startups is it do i start the flywheel from day one but no this is just as applicable to any organization even if they're you know very well developed and have got a very extensive uh, revops function because these capabilities can always be improved my history teacher at school, I remember saying, I never give 100% because you could always do better, Ooh. which I thought was a little bit mean, um, but you can always improve. And so even if you are a very well-developed uh, global organization, you can still use that flywheel. And the second question that comes up a lot is, well, where should I start on the flywheel? And to me, it doesn't really matter. Start wherever, because you're going to go around in a circle and you're going to end up at the start pretty quickly. So whether you start with your strategy and your org structure, or whether you start with your buyer's experience and some of the sales content over on the other side. It's just about getting started somewhere and iteratively improving all of these. You never get to the end. And that's one of the reasons why it's a flywheel and not a, a line. There is no end. You keep going forever. Yeah. You know what? I love that in so many ways, Charlie, because I think people get intimidated. They read RevOps and the complexity and you know, you have to reorg your entire business and who's going to own RevOps? Is it going to be marketing, sales, or operations? And, you know, what do we do with comp structures and everything else? Start with something simple. Mm. What is it that you want to improve? What part of your business do you believe that you can improve in the shortest period of time that will have the largest impact? Mm. Start there. Figure out what that is. And then build out a blueprint, build out a plan, but you have to start somewhere. And I think people get intimidated by, wow, there's data governance and now I need a data science team and I need a sales organization that's aligned with marketing in a different way. And we have to have a, like, it, just find somewhere to start, start the process, bring in some experts like Charlie, start to evaluate the current situation, identify the pain the challenge of what value you want to move towards and work and get started. Mm. Don't be afraid. Like the finger again of it's too big, it's too overwhelming. Yeah. We we overcomplicate things and we could learn a lot from our product colleagues over on the other side who are doing rapid experimentation. They're creating hypothesis. They're running A B tests. They're just testing crazy, crazy, crazy on the product. And we don't tend to replicate that in go-to-market. We spend a lot of time planning and thinking when instead, which is to be, you know, we've got a hypothesis. We think that if we put a, a diagnostic tool on the website, it'll help customers to understand the value, right? Well, let's just spin up a minimum viable product for that diagnostic and get it on the website this afternoon or later this week. These things don't have to take uh, months and months. Test, see if it works, iterate and go on to the next thing in the flywheel. Man, he sounds like Alistair Wilcock, right? Like, test, iterate, go, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm very big on, and I love your your thinking there, Charlie, the, the agile style approach of development in go-to-market is, is absolutely front and center, right? And that's why you need the flywheel, because you need the agility associated with that, right? And be okay to get things wrong. Yeah. I mean, I've worked many an enterprise. So I'm like, you know, what we did in certain combinations of things, it didn't work as intended. All right. Well, you know what? Let's move on to the next thing. Fail fast. 
Yes. 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 Because as we've discussed both the last episode of this one, the rate of automation and AI impact here means you need to fail fast. Yeah. Right? And by the way, that fail fast also means you will equally succeed just as quickly. Right? Again, it's back to the balancing of it. So the agile approach, lowercase a, brought in to go to market. Really important. I think Charlie is, is bang on advice. And, and to your earlier point, it's not just startups. As we started with, McKinsey's now proving. Again, back to the, their statement, Fortune 100s with these models, with the structure in place, let's face it, you don't have a CRO without a RevOps team. 1.8 times faster revenue growth in the Fortune Fortune 100 space. That's even more pronounced when you go further down market. So let's be agile. Let's let's go break a few things and test accordingly. You know, on that, Charlie, you know, and I know we're going to run out of time here soon, but in the spirit of failure, what what's something that you you've seen that people fail on in this? I think certainly my experience in uh, enterprise SaaS, things just take too long to get delivered. There's a lot of planning, uh, a lot of ideas, and then at the end of the year, you go, ah, oh, we were going to do that webinar, weren't we, on something? And uh, so they, things just don't travel from idea to execution uh, fast enough. And uh, in many ways, that can be cultural from the very top of the business that actually, you know, we need all these checks and balances and, you know, no one make too many mistakes. But that needs to come right from the top of the business on a, the enterprise revenue structure that actually we have urgency in our business. Uh, we're iterative, we're experimental and we want to go fast. And I have this phrase, you know, in some companies, everything happens in one day and in other companies, nothing happens in an entire year. And you have these companies like, are we any further forward than we were a year ago? No. Uh, and that, that is that, that challenge. So it's implementing a bit more of this urgency and momentum in these organizations. Well, Charlie, this has been a fantastic conversation with you. Unfortunately, I got to bring us near the end due to our time constraints here. But, you know, I think the two halves of the flywheel synced together is, is a key element to solving that problem. Right, you, you, if you're going a year and not iterating, uh. you fail. Right, and that brings me actually squarely to this week's trivia question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so not not as comical as last week's. We'll we'll have you know, Charlie, on this one. But but do actually think of these companies now and the changes they're undergoing. Catherine Gertowski, who is vice president at General Electric, came out and said that AI represents a big part of the next big. Thing. What was the next big thing that Catherine referenced from General Electric? Artificial general intelligence and generative AI. Two, finding intelligent machines that will automate GE. Three, that she believes that AI is going to be the fuel for the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, I think it'd be that last one, that it's going to be the fuel for the next industrial revolution. I think it's going to transform the way that we build, uh, manage, and run machines. You are bang on, Charlie. That's exactly what Catherine said from a VP from General Electric. And you know, and you just think about our our couple conversations here. How transformative RevOps has been over the past really five five years plus, and now we have AI hitting it square on in front of us. The ability to have an agile-based flywheel approach to my companies, you can't be stagnant anymore. The fourth industrial revolution is here. We are actually in it and living it right now. 
And many people argue that it's happening at a rate that is four times faster than anything in previously in human history. So it's an exciting time to go change how we go to market and how we build those teams. Absolutely. I think for me, I've been in sales 25 years. This is the most exciting time since, uh, since email came in. It's all changed like never before. Couldn't agree more. Charlie, final question. How does everybody get a hold of you? How do they dig in more on RabOps, Charlie, all of these things? Where, where, where do we get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest way is at revopscharlie.com, uh, where I've got a lot of content and videos there. But also I post daily on LinkedIn with uh, revenue growth strategies, everything covering all aspects of, of RevOps. So I'd love to see you and connect with you there. Well, thanks so much. We definitely will. Charlie, it's been brilliant to have you on. Love your thought leadership in the space. Please keep it up. It's fantastic experience. You're, you're making the world of sellers a better place. So thank you for that. Thank you both, uh, Howard and Alistair, for having me on. Don't forget to like and subscribe and send in your questions to Howard and I. We'll do our best to get them on future episodes. Thanks for joining in. Howard, as always, great to see you. Charlie, great to see you. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it.